Many people today are going vegan, and there has been a boom in the alternative meats industry. The proponents of the meat-free path would certainly say that it is the superior path to take, yet there are also many who would question this, saying that if you were to study the human body, biologically we were evolved to eat meat, and therefore it is a natural thing for us to do, and also arguably the good thing for us to do. Yet the meat-free proponents would say that we should investigate into the animal industrial complex and see how terribly and also cruelly these animals are being treated, that it is an ethical imperative for us to avoid meat altogether. So it really comes down to a question of whether animals actually have rights, and if they don't, whether they should have rights. And in investigating this question as we delve into this rabbit hole today, we will see that the answer, and really the attempt to answer this question, says a lot more about us humans and how we see ourselves rather than just animals alone. Because you see, for the longest time through our belief systems, whether it is philosophy, science or religion, we have always thought that we humans are special. And because we are special, therefore we have some sort of a superiority over these animals. For example, as far back as the time of Aristotle, he actually had a great interest in wildlife. He investigated it profusely. He was known to have actually travelled around the islands of the Mediterranean. He would actually meticulously investigate, profile and catalogue the different wildlife that he encountered, looking at their characteristics and their attributes. And then Aristotle very quickly devised a hierarchy in the natural world that he saw. He saw that plants were alive, but not sentient. He saw that certain animals are more complex than others, that you could look at a lowly animal like a worm, and it seems alive, but doesn't really have the same sense of complexity as, let's say, a fish, and of course, more complex creatures than the fish. So he devised this hierarchy where you have lowly animals, plants, and essentially more complex ones, and ultimately at the very top of it, humans. So Aristotle believed that humans were very special above all the other animals, and certainly this sort of cornerstone, the bedrock of the belief that we are more special than animals today. In the medieval periods, Christian philosophers would actually take what Aristotle had done and created the Scala Naturae, essentially a pyramid, the idea that God created everything on earth. God created plants to be eaten by animals, other animals to be eaten by other animals, but ultimately animals to be eaten by humans, and then yet above humans, the angels, and then God. A pyramid with God at the very top, but us humans, again, through these religious texts, we are special. We are put on this earth, and God has created this earth for us, and all these things that benefit us, to help us, they're very much our tools, but again, confirming our place as at least being more special than animals. So we can see how the combination of philosophy and religion, at least up to these periods, have really confirmed that we are indeed above animals, we are beyond them, and therefore we are technically justified in doing whatever we wanted with them. And certainly later, with Charles Darwin, with his Origin of Species, where he actually did greater work in natural science, we can also see the idea that, again, there are all sorts of animals, but humans are certainly quite special. Leading up to the Enlightenment, philosophers like Descartes, who I've mentioned in one of my previous videos would also confirm the specialty of humans, but not so much from the idea of cataloguing or science or religion. But for him, it was really the idea, which by the way is an influential idea today, the idea that humans are special because we have a mind. Essentially, Descartes believed that as humans we have consciousness, we have the ability to actually be critical and rational. And Descartes realized that animals don't actually possess 
this characteristic. And therefore, us humans, we are more special than animals because we actually have the ability to think. Compared to us, animals are very much like automata. They are programmed to be in certain ways, they function certain ways, but they certainly don't have the rational thought that makes us special. And so in that sense, they can never be as special as us humans. And potentially from this sort of reasoning, which by the way, a lot of people still ascribe to today, animals don't really deserve rights or deserve any sort of special treatment because they aren't like us humans. They certainly are not on the same category. And so far as existing with a mind that's capable of rational thought. In other words, if they are not able to think like us, why should they deserve any sort of special considerations like we do? But interestingly, it was really after that period we start to see a very big shift in the sort of philosophical reasoning of people. It started really, I think, with Jeremy Bentham, this English philosopher, who I've also talked about in some of my older videos. But for Bentham, we shouldn't be so concerned about whether animals actually have rational thought, or whether they are somehow uncharacteristic, the same as us humans, whether in our complexity or in our rationality. But the same thing that makes us all of us equal, at least between animals and humans, is the fact that we all are able to actually experience suffering. And on the basis that we are equally able to actually experience suffering, then certainly on a universal basis, we shouldn't perpetuate pain and suffering. If we would not perpetuate suffering in us humans, things that are capable of suffering. Why should we perpetuate suffering in animals, especially if it is unnecessary? Animals are not so different from us because they're able to feel these pain. And we know, at least universally, pain is something that should not be perpetuated. So on this basis for Bentham, we should consider treating animals in the same sort of category as us humans. In other words, they can potentially have rights. And this is really a significant shift. It isn't to elevate that animals have the same sort of complexity as us, but truly they have the universality in feeling the same pains as us, the same sort of suffering. And indeed, the renowned Princeton University ethicist Peter Singer would take this a bit further. He actually asked us the question, why are we opposed to racism or sexism? Why are we opposed to it? We're opposed to it because we know that despite the fact that a person could be, let's say, black or a woman, they are still equal in their capacity, their ability, as any other humans. And so Singer, building on the idea of Bentham, would accuse us of also having speciesism, the idea that we think we're humans and therefore we are better than animals, but that animals should have rights because on the same sense that we're looking at sexism or racism, animals have the same sort of capacity as us to feel pain. And they also have the same drives as us to actually pursue pleasure. And therefore it would be highly unethical for us to actually perpetuate pain for animals on the basis of their species alone. Because if you were to look at it, despite the difference of species, a monkey, a chimpanzee, and let's say me, a human, we both feel pain. And therefore, why should we, at least from this ethical ground, justify inflicting pain to monkey just because a monkey is a monkey? And so Peter Singer really elaborated the ideas of Bentham, this idea of utilitarianism, and really built upon it to make us question whether we are speciesists. And I really find that to be so fascinating because we start to really see a shift in our development in considering our place, at least according to the beliefs of Singer. If you were to really delve into it, we are maybe not that different from animals. We are different in certain regards, but certainly not in other regards too, especially in the important regards and our ability to experience pain. Law professor Stephen Wise would also take it even further to introduce this idea of dignity. Now, to Stephen Wise, he would say that instead of just looking at pain and pleasure, 
we should really look on the question of dignity. Because us humans, we are able to experience emotions. Certainly from an ethical standpoint, it wouldn't be justified to actually abuse us or inflict pain on us because of the fact that we possess emotions, we therefore possess an intrinsic sense of dignity. And because animals possess emotions, therefore they also have dignity. And in unnecessarily inflicting pain and suffering to animals, the biggest thing that we're doing is robbing away this dignity from them. And to behave in such an undignified way, especially in our perpetuation of the suffering of these animals, we are truly being highly immoral. They're also the same as us because of the fact that they possess the intrinsic dignities too. So we can see in the latter half of development of human thought and belief systems, the idea that us humans are really special in some sense have actually been challenged by many thinkers where animals seem to actually possess the same sort of equality as humans on the basis of certain other considerations which are regarded as being universal. And that is a very interesting shift that says a lot about development of human thinking, especially in the areas of ethics and moral consideration. Yet this is not without challenge. Certainly, if you were to consider the things I've just mentioned, you would say, yes, by all means, animals should have rights. They certainly should be protected. Yet there's also issues with that, especially if you were to take the sort of reasoning from the Greek philosopher Eubilides in the idea of setting distinctions and boundaries. Now, Eubilides used a thought experiment of a heap of sand to demonstrate his reasoning. When exactly is a heap of sand a heap of sand? When exactly, at which point, how many grains would be considered a heap of sand? Now, admittedly, I I know I sound rather strange right now, but the idea is this. Where do we draw the distinction of rights and protections for animals? So for example, we can all agree that we think animal hunting, especially for sports, is unnecessary entirely. Hunting animals for our own enjoyment, killing them, at least if you were to adopt the reasoning of those few thinkers and philosophers I've mentioned, does not seem justified ethical in any regard. What about eating animals? What about eating animals for our own nutrients? Is this still unethical? Some people might start to argue here. What about eating fish? What about eating insects? What about if we were to eradicate insects and vermins because they cause a nuisance to us? Killing a cockroach, killing a fly, is that acceptable? The very interesting thing, especially if you were to look at it, is that seemingly we want to protect certain animals. Like for example, we would feel highly unethical to see a dog being abused. Yet, if a fly was killed or if an insect was killed, we would be okay with that, especially with certain people. They are able to eat certain animals, yet they would go out of bounds to protect certain other animals. The distinction is uncertain. Although we might agree with the idea that animals do deserve protection, yet the distinction of when we introduce those protections and to which animals that we introduce those protections and rights is at most wavy. We seem to have certain preferences of certain animals, at least seemingly, that we would like to protect but not others. And why this is really an issue is that it shows the idea of animal protection and animal rights to be one that seems to be quite emotional and certainly quite subjective rather than really being a rational consideration that leads to something that is truly more objective and by all considerations to really be fair and absolute. Why is it that we're willing to protect certain animals, we feel so strongly about certain animals, yet we would not actually regard others to be the same. And this has been a debate for many of the ethicists and philosophers in this area for a very long time. There's also been a lot of people in the area of jurisprudence 
the philosophy of law, have also debated the idea of really animals possessing rights. For example, the American philosopher Carl Cohen has actually said that what a right is, is an entitlement to make a moral claim against another. When we say certain people have rights, we're saying that if it is infringed, we have an entitlement to say you have behaved immorally. So there's an ability to exercise this right, this moral entitlement. But Cohen would argue that animals can't have rights because they can't exercise this moral claim, at least against people who infringe for them. So it would be at least in terms of its classification or even as a thought, quite inappropriate to say that animals have rights because to be able to make moral claims, you have to at most have the ability to do so, which again goes back to the question of free will. So even if we're talking about animal protections, it is hard to say that they can have rights. To do so would really to bring into question of what rights are. Animals simply, at least according to Cohen, can't have rights because of these reasons. So you're probably wondering, Melvin, what does this mean? We have recognized that animals are different from humans, at least especially in the sense that they don't have the complexity as us humans. They don't have minds or free will. Yet we also recognize they're able to suffer, but there are those who would debate whether we can actually give them rights. And indeed, this has been a debate for ethicists and philosophers in this area for a very long time. And these are all the considerations. Many of you would agree with one camp, many with another. But I think we can end this video with a thought from Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher. When he was really looking at the idea of the categorical imperative or what it means to be human and how we should perpetuate humanity, now I can't believe that autonomy is truly one of the ultimate values in life, the ability to actually make decisions and perpetuate a destiny. And because it is so special and so unique, it has to be protected. And Kant recognizes that humans have autonomy. We certainly have the highest degree of autonomy, stemming from the fact that a prerequisite of autonomy is free will. Humans have free will. And autonomy should be protected at all times and respected. We should be able to perpetuate autonomy and not let it be robbed away. It should be protected and therefore humans should have right. But on the same basis, Kant would argue that most animals don't actually have autonomy because they don't have free will. They can't be said to be autonomous in the same sense that some of the earlier thinkers actually thought about. But I think on that basis, we can also see how why some of us are more inclined to respect and consider some animals to be special because they seemingly do have a larger degree of autonomy. But the general point is that animals don't have autonomy and therefore Kant believes that animals can't have the same sense of rights as at least humans. Yet Kant would say that we still owe a duty to protect animals and treat them with respect, even if they don't have the same sort of autonomy as as humans, because ultimately our duty to them is a duty to humanity. If we are willing to be so cruel to animals, then we are actually corrupting our own humanity. And in doing so, we might ultimately actually be cruel to one another as well. The same sort of consideration that drives humanity as our categorical imperative can actually be reflected in our dealings with how we actually treat this world, especially natural world in terms of the lives occupied. So whether you believe we are special or we are not special, whether you believe that animals suffer or not suffer, we owe it in our humanity to not behave in a way that is cruel because ultimately these actions shape our humanity and how we utilize our free will as truly autonomous creatures.